If someone were afraid of the dentist, maybe they haven't been in a long time, maybe they're embarrassed because they haven't been in a while, I feel like this would be a really safe place for them to go and get the care that they need. At Advanced Dentistry, we get it. If you've been avoiding the dentist because of fear, worry, or just not wanting to be judged, if you want to learn how IV sedation can change your life, visit NoFearDentist.com. Ready for an amazing deal? BreezeLine's fiber-powered internet starting at $19.99 per month offers the reliability you deserve and security you can trust. Whether you're streaming, gaming, or working from home, we've got all your needs covered with speeds up to 1 gig and our two-year price lock guarantee. This deal gets even better with two free months of internet, free equipment, and free Wi-Fi your way to protect against cyber threats. Act now. Terms and conditions apply. Offer expires July 8, 2024. Learn more at BreezeLine.com. Hi, I'm Anna Marie Cox, and welcome to With Friends Like These. This week's guest is Rebecca Traster. She is a writer for New York Magazine and the author of Good and Mad, The Revolutionary Power of Women's Anger. She is also a genuine friend of the pod. We've had her on to discuss the complicated relationship between feminists and Bill Clinton and the reluctance of white women to own their part in Trumpism. Today, we're talking Biden and memory and hope and power. Rebecca Traster, coming right up. With Friends Like These is brought to you by BetterHelp. Are you having trouble staying in the moment lately? There are so many things to feel unsure about that have happened in the past, so many things to feel anxious about that haven't yet happened and might not happen. I have to use all the tools at my disposal to stay present. Exercise, meditation, and therapy. Thank goodness for therapy. I think everyone could use the support of a therapist, and if you're looking for one, BetterHelp has you. BetterHelp will assist your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. You can connect in a safe and private online environment, making it so convenient you can begin communicating in under 24 hours. It's not self-help. It's professional counseling. You send a message to your counselor anytime, and you'll get a timely and thoughtful response. And you can schedule weekly phone or video sessions, all without ever having to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room, drive anywhere, put on pants, maybe. You can do it at home. It's so easy. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches, so they make it easy and free to change counselors if needed. The service is available for clients worldwide, and it's more affordable than traditional offline counseling, though Financial aid is also available. They offer a broad range of expertise with specialties that you may not find in many areas. You can get a licensed professional counselor who is specialized in depression or anger or stress or anxiety, relationships, sleeping, or even trauma. Anything you share is confidential. You can check out the testimonials they post daily on the site. In fact, so many people have been using BetterHelp, they are recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states. I want you to start living a happier life today. As a listener, you will get 10% off your first month by visiting betterhelp.com friends. Join over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health. Again, that's betterhelp, better, H-E-L-P.com slash friends. Rebecca, welcome to the show. I'm very happy to be here. 
I want to talk about everything you've written lately, but you've written a lot. So <laughs> let's talk about Joe Biden, the man of the hour. One of the most powerful points I think you've made in, in your long essay about Joe Biden um, is that everything we've done over the past 40 years or so, everything women have done for women's rights has ended not with a female president, but with the most average of white guys. Please explain. I, I want to amend your recapitulation of that to say that I do not think that everything that has been done with regard to fighting for more diverse representation ends with the election of Joe Biden. I really don't think that this is an end. The piece that I wrote I do think that that was how it was presented in a DNC video in the middle of the convention this summer where my jaw was hanging open. Okay, like that's that's part of that that version of the story where the culmination of like um, the the really long and tortured path to expand um, the space that women and especially democratic progressive women take up in American politics. Like there was a version of that story told during the Biden campaign. And I looked particularly at this video on like ladies night of the convention, which you may remember. Um, <laughs> and I went, I, like, I watched that video and I was like, Whoa, uh, because like everything at the convention, it ended with like a tribute to Joe Biden and, um, that, and, and for, reasons that are like go back 30 years did not actually the story of women moving into democratic politics in greater numbers the video that they showed telling that story didn't include anita hill um which is like for a lot of reasons having to do with joe biden but that's like telling history wrong i was fuming about that that night um and it was like just don't tell the story if you can't tell it true Right. Like you don't have to do that. Obviously, uh, the march for equality in all sorts of areas did not begin 40 years ago or even 60 years ago, it began much before that. And the fight for more inclusivity in politics does not end with Joe Biden. But there is this version of the story that you kind of pull out of that DNC video that I think is a is a version of this story where Women make possible the Joe Biden presidency in a, as you're pointing out, like in this incredibly ironic way. Part of the promise that made him attractive. I'm reckoning not with Joe Biden, but with America and with the limits of my own expectations for how much better I wish it were than what it is and what we can actually do to protect ourselves within it, right? Like, one of the things about this piece that I just wrote about Joe Biden and the America's relationship with a, with white capitalist patriarchy is about saying I'm wrong. I was wrong. And that's something I'm struggling. Like that's part of what this piece is, is struggling with. So part of what Joe Biden sold that wound up being attractive enough for him to win um, was a return to American norms, right? Um, it, it is a view that treats the Trump presidency as an aberration. I tend to see the Trump presidency as, a, if not the culmination, because I think there will be other culminations, um, something that an American right 
a symptom and the, the right wing has been building toward for decades. Um, I don't see Trump as distinct from a contemporary Republican Party in the way that a lot of people do. But of course, we know that he was specifically monstrous um, and uh, openly malevolent and incompetent in ways that I think you know, do make him distinct and that removing him was a national emergency. And we did need the candidate who could remove him. And that candidate was Joe Biden. He removed him. And what I'm exploring here is what about Biden made him the guy, the person who could win. And I do think he was the person who could win. Yes. So for for women of a certain age, Biden's handling of the Anita Hill hearing is the thing we think of maybe first um, when it comes to Joe Biden. It is definitely like the first thing I think of when I think of criticisms of him. But you point out in this piece that there is this. It's not history rhyming. It's it's history in exact atonal discord. About how that has sort of in a a step-by-step way led to his presidency. Could you unpack that for us? Anita Hill testifies in 1991, in October of 1991, and she is treated abysmally by the Senate Judiciary Committee. Um, worse by the Republicans on that committee, but not well by the Democrats. And what it, what, and the country watches this. Um, and what the country sees is a Senate Judiciary made up entirely of white men. Democrats and Republicans. It was all white men uh, who, in this particular context, because Clarence Thomas is an African-American man um, nominated by George H.W. Bush to replace Thurgood Marshall on the court. Um, Anita Hill is a black woman who has worked alongside him and is testifying that she was sexually harassed. So here are, you know, issues of race and gender at the fore and the race and gender of the Judiciary Committee, the people who are hearing them become like just put on display for the country. And in the year that follows, it's not easy. It's, it's not as simple as everybody was mad about how Anita Hill was treated. And therefore, there was what was called for a long time the year of the woman, which was 1992. There were other things. There had been, a, I think, a Senate banking scandal that had left a lot of people retiring, a lot of open seats. Um, there were other factors in play that permitted a wave of candidates to run and win. And a historic number of them were women. And that was especially true in the Senate where four women one seats. And that was an unheard of record in 1991. They included Carol Mosley Brown, who was the first black woman to ever win uh, a Senate seat. And I mean, that's like, you, you sort of have to say that over and over again, and then remind yourself that the second woman to ever win a Senate, black woman ever to win a Senate seat was Kamala Harris. And part of what I look at in this piece is the way that that change then begets further change, right? And it's not like this is, you know, and these weren't the first women in the Senate. Um, but uh, again, this, this history of women in politics extends back hundreds of years. Um, but this was a massive change. Joe Biden suffered reputational damage. Um, he had been the Senator from Delaware since 1970. He was elected in 1972, came in in January 1973. He'd had this like long career at that point, not as long as he's had now. Um, and, and he, like, he was amply criticized for his mishandling of those hearings. 
And, and there's enough of a national conversation about the, you know, the monochrome maleness of that Judiciary Committee that he asks Feinstein and Carol Mosley Brown to serve on the Judiciary Committee. Mosley Brown initially didn't want to serve on the committee. She says, yes, they do that. Those two women do that to help Joe Biden fix his own reputation, right, after he mishandled that. There's links in this chain, right? The link that starts with Anita Hill, that then goes to Carol Mosley Brown and Barbara Boxer, that then goes to uh, Carol Mosley Braun allowing Joe Biden to have his reputation shined up just a bit. If she hadn't accepted that that Judiciary Committee assignment, perhaps Joe Biden would not have been able to recover his reputation. So she accepts that assignment. Then Barack Obama wins, right? Or actually, well, then Barbara Boxer t- retires and Kamala Harris comes in. Yes. Oh, no, they're all tied together. They're all tied together. And part of it is the person who at this moment has wound up getting boosted by all this in this moment uh, is Joe Biden. And and, (laughs) um, like he has, I mean, he was boosted by being vice president to to Barack Obama for good reason. And I want to say something. I, I write this in the piece and I really, you know, this this piece is about power and race and gender. And it is really meaningful that Joe Biden is such a good vice president to Barack Obama, right? It's a historically unprecedented situation. And in my view, it is probably because he was such an average, like non-spectacular American white guy politician that he's the perfect foil for a black president. And, and hi, like, let's acknowledge how discomforting it was. Like the, the left criticism of Barack Obama's administration to the side. Let us talk about how discomforting it was for this country uh, to have had a black president in like so much so that we have just had four years of like open, violent racism. I mean, not that that doesn't exist on a daily basis all the time, but like within the context of presidential politics. I mean, the sort of spasm of of um, vengeful, violent, uh, white supremacist right-wing politics in this country is like, that's how, that's how like allergic so much of this country was to one African-American man being president for two terms. And Joe Biden was a white man who served loyally, um, and capably as his number two. And that is that is a meaningful job he did. And it and it is meaningful, I think, for a lot of people, including me. Um, and, uh, you know, so that I, I, I it's not that he just won a golden ticket in being Barack Obama's vice president. But because I know that so Joe Biden didn't feel didn't feel like he had to prove himself, you know, like he could just be like, yep, I deserve to be vice president to this guy. Like entitlement gets you places. And I, and I don't, again, I'm not, I'm not actually trying to be mean. I'm trying to look critically and analytically at how power works in this country when it applies to the presidency. We're going to take a quick break to play a part in the system we must perform in. Welcome again to all those visiting the land of sobriety for the month of January. I hope you enjoy your stay with us here, long-term sober folks. I've been around for quite a bit, and I'd like to offer you a pro tip or two. Here's a big one. Don't just swap in soda for your drinks. It gets boring. It doesn't feel special. It feels like you're at the kids' table. It doesn't feel like you're making a grown-up choice not to drink. You still need a grown-up drink. 
Enter Ken Euphorics. Ken Euphorics drinks have sophisticated flavors, and they're made to address the stuff that grown-ups care about. Think adaptogenic herbs and mushrooms that help curb stress in the moment and over time, as well as nootropics that support cognitive function like clarity, memory, and creativity. There's three different recipes. High Road has an herbaceous flavor. You get the sense of feeling a lifted mind and a relaxed body. Think of it for happy hour or brunch or wherever you're looking for something kind of bright and snappy. Ken Spritz comes in a can and it's sparkling, an Aperol brain boost. I think of it as kind of outdoorsy social, maybe because the can makes it so portable. Take it on a picnic. And then there's Dream Light. That is the one I have literally most nights. It's a genuine nightcap because it tastes like warm and cozy with smoky kind of spicy flavors and because it has ingredients that promote sleep, melatonin, tryptophan, and reishi mushrooms. We have worked out a special deal, another special deal for With Friends Like These podcast listeners. Receive 15% off plus free shipping on your order. Go to kenuphorics.com slash friends or use code friends at checkout to claim this deal. That is k-i-n-e-u-p-h-o-r-i-c-s dot com slash friends. This episode is brought to you by Public Goods, the one-stop shop for sustainable, high-quality, everyday essentials made from clean ingredients at an affordable price. Everything from coffee to toilet paper and shampoo to pet food, Public Goods is your new everything store. I am currently furnishing a new place, and I am determined to make it minimalist. I want everything in it to feel purposeful, and Public Goods is a part of that. There's the quality of the items, there's the fact I can order everything from one place, and I confess, it's the streamlined, uniform design. There is something very soothing about looking at your shower shelf and seeing the matching bottles, or looking in the pantry and everything just matching just so. You should buy things because they're good quality and they make you happy, but I love that just looking at this stuff makes me happy too. Rather than buying from a bunch of single product brands, Public Goods members can buy all of their premium essentials in one place with one beautiful streamlined aesthetic. Public Goods searches the globe to find clean, healthy, eco-friendly, and innovative products. They use that membership model to keep costs low and pass on even more savings to their customers. Best of all, you can make your first purchase with no obligation. They plant one tree for every order placed, and they incorporate sustainability into every part of the company. Join hundreds of thousands of others who have switched to this new everything store. We worked out an exclusive deal just for With Friends Like These podcast listeners. Receive $15 off your first public goods order with no minimum purchase. That's right. They are so confident you will absolutely love their products and come back again and again they are giving you $15 to spend on your first purchase. You have nothing to lose. Just go to publicgoods.com slash friends or use code friends at checkout. That is P-U-B-L-I-C-G-O-O-D-S dot com forward slash friends to receive $15 off your first order. Who would not like more time? And more money. I would like more time and money. Money, I mean, of course, I want money. And time, I would like to not have to do the things that are boring and have more time to do the things that are fun. And there is one way that this isn't just a beautiful dream. 
I can use stamps.com instead of going to the post office. Stamps.com allows you to mail and ship anytime, anywhere, right from your computer. Send letters, ship packages, and get discounted rates from USPS, UPS, and more. Stamps.com has saved businesses thousands of hours and tons of money. With Stamps.com, you get the services of the post office and UPS all in one place with big discounts on mailing and shipping. I've used Stamps.com a lot in the past year, you know, for reasons. And now I'm not sure if I'll go back. I've mailed gifts, merchandise, and I've returned things I bought and I even mailed my tax returns. You can do it too. Simply use your computer to print official US postage 24 seven, any letter, any package, any class of mail, anywhere you wanna send it. Once your mail is ready, just schedule a pickup or drop it off. It is that simple. With Stamps.com, you get discounts of up to 40% off post office rates and up to 62% off UPS shipping rates. Not to mention, Stamps.com is a fraction of the cost of those expensive postage meters. So stop wasting time going to the post office and go to Stamps.com instead. There is no risk. And use my promo code FRIENDS to get a special offer that includes a four-week free trial plus free postage and a digital scale. There is no long-term commitment or contracts. Just go to Stamps.com, click the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in FRIENDS. That's Stamps.com promo code FRIENDS. Stamps.com. Never go to the post office again. McDonald's presents Burger Reviews by Hamburglar. Today's review, the hotter, juicier, classic burgers. Mr. Hamburglar. Bravo, bravo. He said, of all the McDonald's burgers I've ever hamburgled, these are the hottest, juiciest, and tastiest. Bravo. Hurry in and enjoy one of our 350 bundles, like a daily double and small fries for a limited time. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any of the offer comparison of prior classic burgers. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And we are back for more with Rebecca Traster. And in some ways, we can look at the rise of self-identified white supremacists as white supremacy as an identity choice, which is what has happened, I think, under under Trump. In a way, like sort of in contrast to to Joe Biden, and that's obviously many contrasts, but like so many people write about this, and I think it's true that kind of violent resistance to uh, change and equality comes when you no longer believe that you can just walk into a room and be in charge. Like it comes from the threat of losing something. But what Trump did was weaponize resentment and fear into a very specific movement. So it's not that Trump invented this. He did put it in the Oval Office in in an open way. I want to go back to what you're saying and point out that that especially a lot of people who cover politics, horse race politics, beltway, whatever you want to say, the people who tell the story of American politics, presidential politics, you know, Senate politics, legislative policy stuff, they're allergic to bringing in these very issues that I irritatingly continue to think about, right? But that's part of how, when you don't have the analysis to point out how racist resentments are being leveraged to get us to welfare reform um, under a Democratic president, when you do not have people pointing out, and in fact, a media telling me over and over again that the rise of the Tea Party was about economic conservatism, when all they wanted to do was vote repeatedly to defund Planned Parenthood, right? Like there was a, there's a denialism about how race and gender shape our policy and our partisan politics. And that gets us to policy decisions and partisan strategy 
that that have landed us here. One of the ways you get Trump is people being like, yeah, racism is bad. One of the things that we have not talked about uh, is the tremendous black support he had and how and and the degree to which it is our responsibility to while sitting around complaining about him um, to take that into account in the story of Joe Biden. Right. I told the story what like one narrative thread around representation in elections. Um, and there is another uh, important part of the story, which is that black voters voted for Joe Biden in the primary and made him the nominee. And I don't want to pretend that that's not, that that's not real and meaningful. And I think, I mean, and this is where it comes down to my critical analysis um, is trumped by the wisdom of those voters who saw what I couldn't in Biden. Last round of ads coming right up. With friends like these, we'd like to welcome Warby Parker as a new sponsor. Warby Parker was founded with a rebellious spirit and a lofty goal to create boutique quality eyewear at a revolutionary price point. Offering eyeglasses, sunglasses, contact lenses, and eye exams, Warby Parker is committed to providing exceptional vision care online and in stores. Glasses start at $95, including prescription lenses. They have sunglasses, progressives, and blue light lenses for all us screen workers as well. So. And this is true. I am wearing Warby Parker glasses right now. <laughs> and I've been wearing Warby Parker glasses for about 10 years. I have several pairs of sunglasses, a couple of far distance pairs for driving, and a pair of readers, one of which I'm wearing right now, that I'm constantly forgetting, hence the reason I have two of them. I have been wearing them for so long that there are a couple of styles that I have that they don't make anymore. And why do I love Warby Parker? I like the price. I like the styles that are available. I like getting glasses made for my weirdly narrow head. They have lots of different sized frames that you can shop by head size, basically. They also now offer contact lenses, including their very own daily contact lens, Scout by Warby Parker. Scout is a comfortable, breathable, and affordable daily contact lens. 90 days is only $55. In addition to Scout, Warby Parker also carries a wide variety of other contact lens brands, including AccuVu and Biofinity. Just like their eyeglasses, their sunglasses are available through the Home Try-On program. The sunglasses start at $95 as well, and they feature premium polarized lenses that are scratch-resistant and provide 100% UV protection. Try Warby Parker's free home try-on program. Order five pairs of glasses or sunglasses to try on at home for free for five days. There's no obligation to buy. Your selections ship free, and it includes a prepaid return shipping label. Try five pairs of glasses at home for free at warbyparker.com slash with friends. Here's a thought. Next time you're in line for something or waiting for something and you want to pull out your phone, don't doom scroll. Try something that's actually good for your brain, a word game. And specifically, may I suggest word collect? Word games are my absolute favorite kind of game. And word collect is sort of like Scrabble, but without a board. You get tiles, you're timed, and how fast you can put them into words. Of course, it starts easy, but it gets hard. If you're a Scrabble player, it's great practice for whenever it is we all get to finally sit down 
across from each other and play board games. Word collect is addicting, but it's not going to depress you. You're going to get your brain cells exercised rather than depressed. There's over 2,000 levels, so you won't run out of challenges. And right now, Word Collect is offering you 2,500 coins and 500 gems to start when you download and play. You can use those to level up or extend a streak or just to play longer. Stop mindlessly scrolling through social media and keep your mind sharp. Just go to Apple or the Google Store and search for Word Collect. It is free to download. Now, the rest of the show. Um, Damon Young um, at Very Smart Brothers. He wrote a piece about uh, Joe Biden and Black voters that it stayed with me. It's actually now been like almost a year where he wrote that it's it's not that we don't appreciate the progressive policies of people like Joaquin Castro and Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders. Like we're smart people and we see that uh, if you kind of do a different kind of economic policy, that would benefit us. But we're voting for Joe Biden. This is his analysis. I don't want to claim to speak for everyone, but he writes because we know white people. We know who you're going to vote for. And it is protective of us to support the person that you're going to vote for. I think that absolutely is one strain of it. I also want to say that there are tons of voters, black voters, who who really like Joe Biden, like love Joe Biden and feel that they have a long relationship with him, that they can trust him. Um, they, many who genuinely love his relationship with Barack Obama and, you know, perhaps especially um, that willingness to work in concert with and loyally to Barack Obama. Um, and then there is that sort of like, there's also um, the the sort of 12 dimensional chess, I think very <laughs> extremely brilliant voting strategy of like what, and that's sort of, and that's sort of what I'm coming to too from a feminist analysis, but th- that there was like, there, it does un- take us back to this, like what, who are the, the most vulnerable populations in this country? Um, made most vulnerable by the Trump administration. And in fact, by a Republican grip on a, a hard right party's grip on power. Um, in many cases, are black voters, and and so the the best and and most like the best bet is the the person who can win. And I, as a feminist writer, strained against that thinking during the primary and said, "No, we can't just go by our old models of who can win." And we got it like we have, and, and I, this the piece that I wrote about this again is really not meant to just be another excuse to be uh, to be grim about Joe Biden, though it includes those elements. It's also really questioning like. I don't know. I, I was wrong. He's hired some great people. He, he hired some people I'm not so crazy about. But like he has put, to my eye so far, like terrific people in brilliant, forward thinking people um, who also happen to be extremely diverse. OK, in terms of race, gender, identity, all, you know, he's he's but but even more than that, just like super smart and forward thinking people in positions of power. And that's great. Like that tells me he's building an administration that has tremendous potential. Biden is a listener. 
I think that's one of his character traits. You know, like it gets talked about, like he's the mourner in chief, like he goes and he empathizes and stuff. I think he listens. And I think this cabinet we're talking about, these appointments we're talking about are a function of him listening. I think Kamala Harris is a function of him listening. The Democratic Party, the leadership of the Democratic Party, I think are not such good listeners. Right. Well, and it's a system who's decided who its leadership is going to be. I mean... And it's a system that in, in small increments, like I, you know, I think the party has tremendous talent in it and that talent, that pool of tremendous talent is growing, but this is a party that was forged in these years when exactly my high school original attitudes, pre-welfare reform about Bill Clinton were like, we'll take what we can get, right? Like coming out of Reagan years when the idea of what it meant to be a Democrat was like working with Wall Street. Like, I mean, that's that's how Chuck, Sch- that, those are the years that Chuck Schumer came to power, right? And that's what, but that's what a lot of the Democratic Party still is. It's, it's a lot of people um, coming out of, coming out of a crouch. And I don't mean actually coming out of that crouch. I mean, a lot of people coming out of an era in which the crouch was the politics. And they're still in power. And they're, and they have, sort of leadership power within, within their caucuses. And like, and that's bad. That's bad because we cannot, this is not a crouch moment. Just purely tactically, by the way, the Republican party, if, if you were a shark, if imagine you were a savvy Democrat, okay? Like what you might notice is that the Republican party like is falling, I mean, is terrifying and, and terrifying in its furious power but also splitting at the seams. And that, if you were savvy, is the moment. And, and, like, and we're in crisis. And people are starving and evicted. And, and, you are, and if you're a Democrat, you are theoretically supposed to represent the interests of the vulnerable. And your opposition, which in fact has until like recently been extremely mighty and, and kept you from exercising some of the represent, representative power you might, they're falling apart. It is the moral and strategic imperative of Democrats right now to act aggressively on behalf of people who need them to act. I think you say a version of this in your piece, which is... Um... You know, Democrats for many years were accused of being a party that just gave away money. Let's own that. (laughs) Let's be like, yeah, you know what? We are the party that gives away money. We're going to give away money right now because people need it. It works. It works. Like that's what, you know, Social Security, like this, it works. People love it. Give them money, give them stuff. The, the, like the, I mean, and, and that's when we were talking before about the degree to which like there is this, there's been a failure to really interrogate what kind of politics and what kind of attitudes and what kind of biases have undergirded the erosion of, of a mid 20th century, um, democratic, sort of commitment to giving the governed the things that they might require for stability and and dignity, right? And of course, we know that the New Deal itself was was built around around whiteness, you know, and excluded um, populations, uh, you know, in ways that 
must be corrected. But then coming out of the New Deal and moving through the civil rights, women's gay rights movements of the late 20th century, what you got was an ascendant Republican Party um, that used race and gender, uh, I mean, if you look at the narratives around welfare moms, to totally tear apart over a period of decades the kind of um, social safety net and economic policy um, that Democrats were supposed to stand for. And Democrats, disempowered, just sat and sort of, A, took it and B, agreed with it, like came to those terms. And, and that's the thing that that's got to be done. And this and the Democrats are in power and they have the ability to provide that for people. They actually they can they can find ways to do it. You can do it and they should do it because it is the correct thing to do. And at this moment, it also happens to be strategically smart. Yeah, I grew up. I was actually thinking of another way to describe the crouch and it's a scarcity mindset. It's the idea that, oh, my God, we're going to lose. Th- we're going to lose anything at any minute. Got to like got to just fit into whatever scheme is happening or else we'll lose everything. And, you know, that is a that's a traumatizing <laughs> way to think about life. And I, it's hard to unlearn, which is why we need just completely new leadership. Listen, they can lose any time. So do the right thing when you haven't lost, you know, like when you have the opportunity to actually do the right thing, like, hey, take a shot. Maybe it'll help you win next time. The, the idea that like, we have to be careful, we have to find this common ground. It is a kind of crazy both sidesism in which the, in which the idea of what the sides are has been pre-packaged by a hard right wing. It brings to mind something I think Ezra Klein pointed out uh, in his book on polarization. He doesn't get into this as much as I like, but um, polarization happens often when one party becomes more diverse than the other, because the diverse party has to deal with internal dissent, for one, right? Like they've got different voices, which is good, but you have different voices. And the other party gets to take advantage of patriarchy and white supremacy. When you're actually a party that is supposed to represent the majority, which Democrats do, um, and that majority is a diverse majority of diverse experiences, um, you know, identities, class, like economic perspectives. It's actually hard to find one unifying message, right? Because it's inevitably going to leave. And if you're trying to be responsible to the people that you're representing, it's actually very hard to come up with some neat little political umbrella that like gets everybody under it. Like, and so you get these messy attempts to like tell some bigger, complicated, nuanced story of America that you can't put on a t-shirt, like, fucking MAGA, right? But like, actually, if you're only representing a power, and it's not just like, if the power structure that you are fundamentally representing is a white supremacist, capitalist, corporate, uh, beholden patriarchy, you're, it's pithy, man. You got one, you got one view of, of power in the world that you can put on a t-shirt and you're golden. And so that's actually, it is, listen, it's a messaging challenge, but it shouldn't actually be a governing challenge, is my view. If you govern with generosity and some moral, um, like, uh, and, a, and a fundamentally moral strategy, you know, that's the thing. Just give people things. They need things. <laughs> See, that, that, that feels pissy to me. Give people money. <laughs> give people things. <laughs> <laughs> like, I think it fits on a T-shirt. We have touched on some reasons for hope in this conversation. 
I feel like we should return to that because it is necessary in our project. Yeah, it's absolutely strategically necessary to feel hope. If you get hopeless, you're done. The reason that I can hope for more now is because I actually think we can do more. I think we have done more. I think the party has gotten better, right? I think I am, I am as we've discussed, wildly critical of a lot of its leadership and, and a lot of the people who still have power within it. But we are living through a rebuilding of the party. It's just slow. And they're not the people who are thrilling and exciting and who I think understand what we should do to make the country a better place for more of its inhabitants. Um, those people are winning office. They're winning elections. They are defeating not just Republicans, but um, you know, some of the Democrats who have been holding them back, right? We you see, and it's and it's not just AOC, it's Marie Newman. You know, it's it's how close Jessica Cisneros came in Texas. Like we are seeing the party get better. And that permits me to be more critical, right? If I were still living in a world where I thought the best we could do um, was what we've got, then you would probably hear me still being a cheerleader for the Democratic Party, because I think it's, you know, in, in a, and, and I, I am a little bit of a cheerleader for the Democratic Party, because no, because we gotta, we gotta survive, and we gotta win. And, and, and the alternative is really terrible. I'm not, I, and I don't ever want to be in a position where I'm pretending that that's not ca- the case. And and people like, you know, Joe Biden winning was a our salvation. I am so critical of Joe Biden, and I am so grateful with every fiber of my being that he's the president. Both those things can be true, and I think it's actually incumbent on me to like work on thinking about both those things simultaneously. But I wouldn't give in to the critical part if I thought this was just the best we could ever get right? I think it's really important to do both at the same time. Thanks so much, Rebecca, for coming on again. Thank you for having me. And that is it for the show. This podcast is a production of Crooked Media. It is produced by Allison Herrera with assistance from Izzy Margulies. This episode was engineered by Louis Lino. Liam McMahon has been our social media genius. He's taking his genius elsewhere, and we will miss him. Whitney Pastrick is really good at boundaries. And I got nothing else. Congrats to everyone for making it through another revolution around the Earth's axis. Your existence is a gift. Take care of yourselves. Save big money on protecting your garden. Now at Menards. Messina's Animal Stopper is a liquid repellent that prevents pesky animals from damaging your garden. Available in a convenient, ready-to-use bottle. It lasts for up to 30 days, regardless of weather and watering. Save big money on Messina's Animal Stopper at Menards. And check out our weekly flyer on Menards.com for more great deals happening now. Save big money at Legend has it, underneath the NJM insurance offices lies a room of rejected mascot memorabilia. Is it real? No one knows. But we do know NJM is proud to put policyholders first. No jingles or mascots, just great insurance. NJM.